Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about <laughs> exposure therapy. Uh, the reason I laugh is I'm going to expose you to exposure therapy. Exposure therapy is a bit controversial. Uh, I think the notion of it, much like hopefully what will happen as we look at the myths, uh, the three primary myths that we're going to contend with on the podcast, by the time that's all said and done, you'll understand probably the same thing is what makes a lot of individuals a little uncomfortable when you start to uh, mention things like exposure therapy. Uh, This article, again, is taken from the Psychology Today, February 2022 edition. Uh, Its authors are Courtney Beard, Ph.D., and Sarah Brown. Three myths about exposure therapy. Exposure therapy is the gold standard treatment for many forms of anxiety. Yet some clinicians remain hesitant to try it. The reluctance may be fueled by unfamiliarity and misinformation. Indeed, research has found that negative attitudes toward exposure therapy inversely correlate with knowledge about it. The good news The more information therapists receive about exposure, the more comfortable they feel implementing it. Shattering these new myths is a good place to start. Myth number one, exposure therapy is unethical and harmful. When people seek treatment for anxiety, they're already feeling anxious, despite efforts not to. Most intuitively understand that the only way to get over a fear is to ultimately face it. And leading them to do so in a safe therapeutic environment is both helpful and ethical. Some some misunderstand exposure as punishing because of the incorrect idea that it forces people into distressing or dangerous situations. In reality, therapists never force patients to do anything Exposure is helpful only when the person chooses to do it. This idea that somehow (laughs) you have to put somebody in an actual situation, at least initially, uh, that holds whatever might be the so-called trigger situation itself, maybe something about the situation that's triggering their anxiety, and forcing them to be exposed to it, Uh, that that being the place that this all starts is kind of getting ahead of itself to this extent. Uh, Most clinicians, all they have to do is allow the subject, the patient, to discuss that thing, that situation, those circumstances that seem to then either represent or are part of their fear for them to have fear. (laughs) Uh, Simply put, just the idea is often enough, sufficient. And as much as exposure therapy in and of itself has a progressive element, it's desensitization, but it's systematic. It starts with the lesser and then, only then, as one is capable of addressing the strong emotions we call fear, it moves on progressively, systematically, to desensitize the person not only to the thought of it, but it may end up actually going into the very situation. 
Uh, what we have to realize, though, as clinicians and also patients, and hopefully listeners of the podcast, is that to be exposed to something we're afraid of is really the only way. It's not only as... Uh, Carolyn Beard or Courtney Beard and Sarah Brown put it, the gold standard, it is, in my opinion, the only way to truly overcome. Empiricism really is the human dynamic when it comes to experiencing life. Uh, Really, empiricism is just that. If you have a theory, if you have an idea, and even if it's after the fact, to really understand it, you have to test it. And testing it usually is applying whatever it is that needs to happen to either create or recreate or those important factors that go into uh, what our correlation would be as cause-effect. Whatever it is, you have to go through it. And then by going through it, there is two dimensions of processing that not only needs to occur, but needs to have in some measure or way, the individual needs to in some measurable way experience and validate. One is emotions. <laughs> and then the second is as we are able then to go through the situation and circumstance, test the theory, then it confirms for us cognitively, intellectually, But if you don't get past the emotions, you're never going to get to the place of actually testing. And what is a theory worth if it isn't tested? But in the same way, when you apply theory, as with exposure therapy, to what has become an irrational fear, which means if you got a chance to think about it, and to process it at that level, you're probably going to come to that conclusion that it really doesn't justify maybe some anxiety. Any situation could hold a potential for some anxiety. Any novel situation holds potential for some anxiety. But we're talking about the kind of debilitating, disabling fear that would then keep someone from living experiencing, living is experiencing uh, a particular situation, a circumstance, simply because they've somehow attached such strong emotion or such strong emotion has somehow become attached or conditioned in such a way just to think about it. More so, even be in the experience, the fear becomes so overwhelming, they don't get a chance to process it. You have to think about it. Rational versus irrational. Rational being with reasoning, there's no justification. Irrational being that because we can't reason, because the anxiety levels are so great, so high, that we're not able to think clearly enough, maybe even to come up with a theory. Or again, as we might have theories, uh, we may some point later on, be able to at least acknowledge the only way to test it is to put yourself in it. And that goes for not only exposure to whatever might have become an irrational stimulus for, again, correlation, the conditioned response of fear. If you don't at least in thinking about it, go out and do something with it, you're never going to get past it. And with that, 
it's all part of not only validating emotionally and cognitively, but that's really what validates us. That's what real, real is all about. If it's not valid, and certainly if it's not reliable, it's not empirical. It, it's not based on hypothetical deductive reasoning, which again, once more, uh, I say that only because those who are familiar with the podcast, I'm going to keep, I keep coming back to this premise. I'm going to keep coming back to this premise. That's the gold speaking, gold standards. That's the gold standard in terms of really adaptability or adaptation to be able to be adaptive. You have to practice science. You have to practice empiricism. You have to understand inductive, deductive reasoning as would then go along with hypothesis, deduction, induction, putting things together, taking things apart, such that we'd be able to understand them. A lot of talk therapy then certainly has that cognitive mediation or um, that cognitive um, analysis that does then mediate the unfortunate aspects of fear, whether it's just because it's a novel situation. Maybe implicitly there's a good reason to be afraid, but you may still have to, in some ways, address it or do it. Uh, (laughs) But otherwise, trying to at least reason it out to make sure we can separate what's rational from irrational and be able to come up with a strategy in mind, a plan in mind, uh, really is what psychotherapy is all about, psychological counseling is all about. So myth number one, exposure therapy is unethical and harmful. No, it's not. It's quite ethical, especially even as much psychology counseling, psychological counseling. All the interventions should be predicated upon good evidence-based research, and study and practice, practice makes perfect, the better we can become at it. Nobody's perfect, but the better we can become at applying it, using the theory, then if it's ethical, if it's science, if it's empiricism, if it's evidence-based, if it's research-based, if it's valid and reliable, then that's the, again, highest standard of ethics, at least in terms of conduct. And with that, it may hurt a bit, but if, in that same way, to be adaptive or for there to be this level of adaptation, maybe just dealing with novel situations again, or maybe specific, we call this phobias, objects, certain things that kind of begin to then in and of themselves hold all of these emotions or at least all these emotions get attached to in such a way as to either expose, be exposed to them or think about them brings about such irrational, (laughs) extreme sort of fear, anxiety. It may seem harmful, but that's the only way to get past it is to actually do something about it. Myth number two, exposure only makes people more anxious. In the moment, exposure therapy can indeed generate distress. People are confronting the very situations that make them anxious. But willingness to experience short-term anxiety reduces suffering in the long run. 
Studies show that when people experience anxiety in controlled environments, they learn to tolerate it. This means that each time they practice coping with anxiety, they reduce the amount they feel the next time. More important, they gain confidence that they can handle stressful situations, whatever happens. Once again, I know that no, there's no such thing as perfection. Well, it depends on, I guess, the actual definition you choose to use when you define, or at least the way that that would have mean, the meaning you would choose to use in defining perfection. Perfection is certainly a state that a lot of people aspire to. I want to do it right. I want to do it well. That of itself can add probably immeasurable anxiety to facing not only novel situations, but if there's been any failure or any sense of failure that's been attached to situations we've gone through, again, we're talking about how things get attached that really means they become conditioned responses to a particular stimulus, then what's going to basically happen is when all these things get attached, we have to detach them, again, based on some measure of reasoning, rational, irrational. But to be a perfectionist, <laughs> to expect to do something perfect or to avoid all of this stuff we're talking about now in terms of learning, novel situations, adapting, life itself, haven't said it thus far on the podcast, but probably could go without saying, but I won't miss the opportunity to say it. Every day has not only the potential for something new to come up, but every moment of every day is in that way a little different than the one before. And sometimes there are factors that are not only minimally, as with impact, be under control, but could be maximally <laughs> of impact that are certainly still beyond our control that can influence us beyond our practice, our learning, our adapting. So when we talk about perfectionism, we're really talking more about completion. In that sense, you can bring probably any situation, certainly after the fact, and if you can learn how to do this in real-time dimensions and applying it while you're going through whatever the new situation is, or even if it's an old situation or similar enough, it has all this kind of potential for phobia or these strong sort of avoidant fear responses. And that's another way of describing what we're talking about today is really avoidance. But if you can understand how to work through it, and complete the process, there should be, at the other end of that type of perfection, operationally defining it that way, some sense of closure. Yes, it was exciting, exhilarating, maybe even scary, but I was able to work my way through it. And should it have been legitimately something to be avoided, because there are certainly situations where fear is very rational, that would then bring us back to avoidance. But we were able to discern that. We were able to understand it. We were under, able to make a better decision, our best decision, so that we don't over or 
expose herself to the risk of especially harm. Particularly bodily harm or the kind of stuff that (laughs) ends in our demise. So when we talk about exposure only makes people more anxious, there's always going to be a certain degree of anxiety. We have to approach it that way and not be perfectionistic in our orientation. But otherwise, understand there's a process to contending with threats, some of which, once again, would be to discern which ones are high threats, high risk, which ones aren't. And whereas inadvertently, somehow, we've mislabeled one, misidentified one, to be threatening when it really isn't. Or if it's important to do it, even if there's discomfort, then you've got to learn to deal with the anxiety while you're going through it so that it doesn't again stop you, prohibit you from completing the process. And what's that again at the end of the process? Hopefully, the emotional reaction on the front end will be turned toward addressing, resolving, finding some degree of learning, adapting, success in the most measurable ways that will either enhance or bring with it more life so that at the end, we can look back and not only, as I mentioned a moment earlier, a moment ago, uh, experience some degree of emotional as well as cognitive satisfaction or validation, have our needs met even, in emotional, physical sort of terms, but that that closure is at the end of the process. And with that, we should feel good about it, which should help us with not only our sense of competency, but our overall sense of well-being and self-esteem. I'm going to take a moment uh, to remind our listeners that you are listening to Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. So, exposure therapy doesn't only make people more anxious. It's probably a truth or truism that you're going to have anxiety. But if done properly, we're the guide, the psychological counselor. Not only in a systematic desensitization sort of manner, mentioned that again earlier, once more earlier, but we start with strong emotions. We understand basically, in a very basic sort of way, where they're coming from. And we not only assist the person in working through the particulars of the circumstance or situation that might represent, have come to represent the anxiety, but how to manage anxiety. And generally speaking, it's just don't let it go so far, so fast. Or, if possible, to slow it down a bit. Now, you can do that by things such as diaphragmatic breathing, which is just deep breathing exercises. You can do that through some form of guided imagery. You can do that through some um, form of biofeedback. All of those sort of slowing it down. <laughs> so, so in the moment, maybe it's just still conceptualization. Maybe we haven't actually put the person in vivo. That's what we call it in the actual situation. 
But we can begin to say, okay, I can tell you're starting to, through the pie and feedback, just through observation, you're starting to get really anxious, self-reports. You're starting to get really anxious. Let's slow down. Use mindfulness. Distract yourself for a moment. Take a deep breath. Do that imagery that we've discussed that helps you, the thoughts, the pictures in your mind, imagery, that helps you to relax. <sighs> okay, now let's go back. And probably expect you're going to have some anxiety, but let's just manage it. Use some of these same coping strategy skills. Understand what it is we're trying to accomplish. Understand that nobody has to be perfect. We're going to eventually get there. We've got all the time in the world to get to that place where not only are you overcoming any sort of specific phobia, <laughs> fear of a situation or circumstance, uh, but also understanding why you might be or not and if it is attached to, which most things in life, primary drives, things that you really need, maybe there's alternative ways of getting it. But just because you've identified the need, that there's some sort of feeling, and that feeling has some intensity to it, and it has the potential to cross a threshold, which, by the way, can be somewhat adjusted as well. <laughs> On the front end, it may take a lot, but if you're constantly worrying, which is a cognitive sort of, it is emotional thinking, but it's, it's more the reasoning or rationality, but it's a distortion in that it is itself irrational. It's a lot of mental activity, a lot of thinking, but the premises are, are wrong because what you're thinking is distorted. You're not thinking objectively, you're thinking subjectively. And what does that mean? Based on the feelings. And strong feelings may completely fear, shut down your ability to really think with any clarity or think. Some people stop thinking when they're that afraid. But at the very minimum, it's going to be, oh, I, I, I'm trying to be objective about this, but I just know it's going to end up this way. And you already have some predetermined result, which generally with fear, it's again, it's not going to work. And worse than that, cause a lot of pain. And worse than that, could end up my demise. <laughs> but we need to slow it down and think about it. So yes, people are more anxious but when we do psychotherapy or psychological counseling the way I've described it, we help them to learn to deal with the anxiety as much as the thing, the thought, the actual situation, rational, maybe more or mostly irrational, that's causing the anxiety. Myth number three. People with severe anxiety can't handle exposure therapy. This is false. A large body of research has found that exposure can benefit people with mild to severe symptoms with little risk of adverse effects. In fact, people with very severe symptoms may actually benefit from more intensive therapy. It is important to keep in mind, however, that exposure shouldn't always be, <laughs> again, the first line treatment. 
people who struggle with substance use, self-injury, suicidal ideation, or disassociation may want to work on developing other coping skills prior to trying exposure therapy. I'm not sure exactly if Courtney Beard or Sarah Brown were or are, when they wrote this, were presently, as we read it, we're to consider that all exposure therapy is in vivo. Uh, I like this idea that, again, it's progressive systematic desensitization. We have, as humans, this wonderful ability to think abstractly. Which means we can recreate in our own mind and actually it is that same skill <laughs> that keeps a lot of the phobias and the fears alive as you ruminate, which just means think more and more and over and over as those thoughts, as you perseverate, persevere in thinking that way. Every time you think that, it just it does include more anxiety if you've never gotten to the place of some closure, as I mentioned earlier, some completion of it. But with this notion that somehow exposure therapy is not throwing you in the deep end of a swimming pool because you're afraid of drowning. <laughs> what it is is preparing you to address the anxiety, which really is the thing that might cause you or be as, as critical as important to your drowning, significant to your drowning as is the water itself. If you enter into a situation thinking you cannot resolve it, if you can't do it, if you can't overcome it, then that is the ultimate in avoidance because you're not. And if I try, someone else tries, to make you do something at that level of either insight or awareness, or with that not knowing how to manage the anxiety or the strong feelings as they come up, slow it down, take a deep breath, diaphragmatic breathing, coping skills, guided imagery, all those things I mentioned a moment ago. And even so, with that then, have as all of that together represents resource, I'm not going to. Ethical counselors, clinical clinicians, clinical counselors, psychologists, social workers, they're not going to put you in those situations. That's why we need to make sure we frame it within the dimension of time. It probably took some time, I would think, imagine. Not necessarily that when it happened, it was anything but immediate and imminent. Uh, either the fear response, the, the threat that attaches itself or gets attached to such fear, uh, or the fear that gets attached to such the threat. That could have been imminent, but by the time that most people come to counseling, they've had it for a while. And it's going to take a bit of time to undo it. And probably with that, we should just acknowledge, maybe, again, goes without saying, but probably worth saying. If you feel comfortable, supported, believe that the person that's there with you going through it, believe in the credibility that they represent, either in personal dimension or even more so professional dimension. If you believe they can help you get through it, <laughs> that's the battle. So, three myths about exposure therapy. 
Myth one, exposure therapy is unethical and harmful. Myth two, exposure only makes people more anxious. And myth three, people with severe anxiety can't handle exposure therapy. All of that comes back to this basic notion, as I'm kind of bringing it to closure today on the podcast. If you don't think you can do it, if you feel overwhelmed, then let this podcast, I guess, encourage you, support you by saying, yes, you can. We're going to do it right. As with, again, solid, empirically sound, research, evidence-based not only theory, but interventions. Those that have proven themselves to be valid and reliable. And what that means is not only do they work valid, but they work consistently well and across a broad range of persons. And for the sake of today's podcast, we've called it exposure therapy. But it's a form of behavior therapy. And with that, cognitive behavior therapy, and with that, dialectical behavior therapy. It's not just a matter of the mind. We're actually trying to affect changes. Some people think even thoughts are behaviors. Some folks are really sold out to behaviorism. I don't know that they're much different, but the good news is those interventions I just mentioned are all strong in terms of research all evidence-based, none greater even than cognitive behavior therapy. That may be something you might want to think about as you then locate someone, try to identify a clinician that can help you. In the meantime, I hope that we can continue to be of help on the podcast, Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. But you have to come back and at least entertain some of the thoughts, uh, entertain some of the articles uh, that we present. And again, in all sincerity, I hope that they are genuinely, authentically of benefit to you. And I believe even if as much I'm not trying to treat any particular condition, I'm just trying to overall encourage you to seek the treatment that you need, the personalized care that you need, uh, so that you can get better. Enjoy your life more. Again, we'd like to invite you back to our next podcast, and thank you for being with us today.